0: Red Business with IBEC. Building a sustainable, competitive future in Cork business.
1: Hi there, and thanks for joining us. Lots to come on this episode. We've got great news from Cork Airport we're going to talk about in just a moment. A couple from Balancholic who are making some of the finest chocolate around and how they're doing it and we'll check in with IBEC as well. But it does appear that Cork Airport is going to be really busy next summer. Ryanair have just announced that there's going to be another aircraft base there, opening up new opportunities both for holidaymakers and indeed for people who are just looking at travelling elsewhere off this island after COVID. Brian Gallagher is the Head of Aviation and Commercial Business Development with Cork Airport. He's with me now. Hiya Brian.
2: Hi, Jonathan. How are you
1: keeping? I'm very well. Um, we we met at that tourism event that featured on last week's podcast, and uh, you kind of hinted that there was something coming, but obviously that I had to take your your ankles if you told us. But it was good news, and it's about Reiner. Tell us more.
2: It absolutely is, Jonathan. And yeah, look, I did promise you there was something coming, but uh, you know that you know the name of the game. It's never it's never over the line until it's over the line. Yeah. But um, listen, it's been a fantastic, uh, a fantastic announcement by Ryanair today. Essentially, they are bringing a third base unit um, into Cork. So a third aircraft serving a host of new routes. We're going to be up to 25 routes this uh, this coming summer. It's actually going to be, amazingly enough, our largest ever Ryanair capacity from Cork this coming summer. So it's a really, really tremendous announcement for us coming out of COVID-19.
1: And what, like, people will hear the size of the investment. a $100 million. That's, that's a sizable... Uh, investment by any airline, and uh, it, it it's you know just because it's Ryanair who are there already, we shouldn't be turning our nose up in any way. It, it's great news.
2: Oh, it's absolutely enormous, you know, and I mean, that 100 million, that basically is the price of one of those Boeing aircrafts if you buy them off the shelf. So Reiner has decided that Cork is where it's going to put its investment and uh, we reap the benefits from that.
1: Yeah, OK, well, now bear in mind, this podcast goes live on the day when we've just had another really bad winter storm. So let's fast forward to the summer. Where can I go, Brian?
2: Well, got, you could—you have a whole host of destinations to go to, but, um, you know, Joining some of the classics that we would have had, like the London routes and some of the UK routes and the, you know, the Malagas and the Faroes. We have some really interesting ones now joining us uh, for this summer. So Venice, which was already announced, uh, starts this summer. But the brand new routes that um, we announced today with Ryanair are Pisa, Alghero, which is in Sardinia and Valencia.
1: OK, and th- some of those destinations, I don't think we've ever been able to go to Sardinia from Cork before, can we?
2: No, never before. So this is a brand new, uh, brand new adventure for us all. And uh, look, Irish people need to get a bit of sun, and uh, as we said today, warm up their bones a little bit. So we think this is going to be a really interesting route as well for everyone.
1: Ryanair and and uh, any airport uh, often uh, they have a fight from time to time, and th- th- there's a uh, an adjustment of the levers with Ryanair pulling airlines and and and, and pulling destinations. You guys seem to be in a very good place with them at the moment, uh, based on the number of routes out of Cork with Ryanair.
2: Absolutely. Look, I mean, Reiner is is the customer at the end of the day, and the customer will always be looking for the best price for the for the best service and products. So, um, that, I think that's a reasonable ask from any customer. But uh, we are certainly we're very glad to be very close partners to Reiner, and um, especially now coming out of what has been a really difficult two years. I mean, you want to be working with your customers um, to deliver recovery because it is recovery. It's not growth anymore. It's literally recovering from what two years of very turbulent flying in the in the industry. You know,
1: and when we look at at the overall number of airlines how many airlines are we talking now? because I, I, I was counting last week when you were speaking on stage I think we've actually got more airlines than we've ever had flying out of Cork have we?
2: Well we certainly have more foreign carriers anyway we've we have the widest range of uh, the big European flag carriers so look Air France and Swiss were with us before covid-19 but we have to remember that you know since covid-19 we had KLM which is now a very large carrier of Cork they launched in August 2020 right in the height of uh, at the height of the challenges and then we had Lufthansa and Vueling join us last year then as well so we've got the big European brands now operating into Cork alongside our longstanding partners uh, Ryanair and Aer Lingus
1: when the world gets back to normal uh- Um, people will look again to Cork for those connections. If you spoke to the business community... Prior to COVID, it was the lack of connectivity. Yeah, we had Heathrow and we had Amsterdam, but they were all rammed. And there was the odd flight to Paris before Air France came in. We've got really good connections now with those airlines. So for for people looking to travel long haul, there's the opportunity just to connect via Amsterdam, to connect via Paris, to connect via London. All all of these are really positive as we're trying to sell Cork post-COVID.
2: That's exactly right, Jonathan. You've hit the nail on the head. I mean, we have a good range, I would say a very reasonable range of routes across Europe that you can get to directly. And then for any long haul connectivity or more difficult routes to get, you know, you've got got Heathrow, which we always had, but then you've got some fantastic connectivity over Amsterdam with the KLM, we've got Paris with Air France, you now have Frankfurt with Lufthansa and also some of the other ones that you might not have even thought of. Um, you know, Swiss for instance over Zurich, Swiss has an enormous uh, route network out of Zurich, so there's connectivity options everywhere and uh, look, my mission is to stop people travelling up the road to our to our big sister airport in Dublin airport and keep them flying out of Cork and I think the hub connectivity that's the way to do that.
1: Mm. Numbers wise this year, again <laughs> we're, we're, nobody's saying nothing with confidence just yet Brian because we, we don't know whether the is a sting in any tail of covid and we we are living with it as opposed to having gotten rid of it but um numbers wise for 2022 uh, are you going to get close to 2 million will you hit 3 million have you have you any bet that you could cast right now on it
2: well, I certainly wouldn't be hitting 3 million uh, for another little while. Give me another year or so, Jonathan, and I'll get you back up there. But, um, you know, earlier this week, we were seeing around 70% recovery um, versus 2019. So that would have been about just under 1.8 million. I think on photo of today's announcement by Ryanair, we should be looking at um, in excess of 2 million for the year. So we're probably probably at the higher end of seventy percent 77%, that kind of recovery this year, which, again, six weeks ago was looking further and further away from what we are and you're absolutely right I, I, you know i'm sure COVID 19 is going to have one or two more unwelcome surprises for us but um we seem to be able to manage this a lot better um than before i mean the omicron hit was probably done in about four to six weeks overall it's unfortunately hit us at christmas which would have been a fantastic christmas period i think otherwise for travel but um look with every, with every turn comes a new challenge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we, we'll face it on. We, we face down the last ones. We'll, we'll face down whatever comes next. But it's good news now. Those seats are available already on the Ryanair website if you're looking for them, not to mention all the other carriers. Brian Gallagher, Head of Aviation and Commercial Business Development at Cork Airport. Thanks for taking the time. Best of luck to you.
2: Thanks so much, Jonathan.
0: Red Business with Ibeck. Building a sustainable, competitive future for Cork business.
1: Now, if you're a Red Business listener with a sweet tooth, you're going to enjoy our next item. Lusso is a chocolate company based in Ballincollig. like so many other brilliant businesses. It began its story in someone else's spare time. In this particular case, Carol Barry was working for family events as well as working her day job as a food operations manager. Over the following 15 years, Lusso then moved from Carol's kitchen to a commercial kitchen beside her parents' house, then to a commercial unit in Ballyncolic, and then they have a great portfolio of products out there now as well. In the middle of that, she met another fella called Ian, and their story continues. Carol and Ian, how are you?
0: All good. Thanks for having us on, Jonathan. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, It's lovely to talk to you. Very good, Jonathan. Thank you.
1: uh, Carol Barry and Ian Kerrigan. Carol, it's a great story. I mean, this started like a hobby by the sound of it.
0: Pretty much, yeah. I suppose so like my my background has always been in in the hospitality and the catering sector. I was a chef by trade, and I suppose moved along with it and found a passion for all things sweet and um, started doing family events and it just kind of kind of rolled on from there. And I started doing catering events and decided to keep my house lovely and clean and um, moved in with the folks to their side of their house. And they were very willingly, came with two very handy washer-uppers at the time. And <laughs> um, so, I mean, without their support, I couldn't have moved any way um, forward l- like it has done. So it's been down to them, really, um, forgive me uh, the push, really. And uh, I suppose, yeah, years on, met Ian and said, OK, let's do this. Right, and, what, and here what, we are. was it the chocolate
1: that attracted you, Ian, or, or what was it?
3: Oh, no, it was her glowing personality at
1: the time. <laughs> the chocolate was a happy <laughs> byproduct.
3: <laughs> That's it, uh, the chocolate was definitely a happy
1: Uh Tell us a little bit about it, because I'm guessing your background isn't in food operations as Carol's was, so you're a kind of a newbie to all of this, are you?
3: Well, no, I actually, I would be in, I was an newbie at the time to the dessert side of it, but I was actually in the catering industry for 20 years before that myself, in bears, restaurants and kitchens as well.
1: OK, but, but sure, there's this a marriage made in heaven. You knew you, you were connected straight away. <laughs> you had, you, you had uh, a way of doing it. But, Carol, chocolate is tricky to make, isn't it? Because uh, we, we eat a lot is, of it, is. but it's not easy to actually put it all together.
0: Well, you know, I suppose it's like it's like everything else, you know, you, you, you get quite used to it and you get you know, I mean so the eating side of it doesn't even bother us anymore. But yeah, it certainly is a science to it. Um it goes too much so through so many processes. Um but it's it's gorgeous to see. I mean, you do get great um finished products at the end of it and like it is a dream to work with except
1: on hot days. Yes. And imagine, <laughs> That's when it comes to the challenge. Yes, it literally melts in your hand, uh, which is uh, one of the advantages and disadvantages of chocolate. What's different about Lusso, though, Ian? Because there's lots of different types of chocolate out there. I mean, you you, you could have anything you want, really. What, what what makes your product stand out?
3: I think outside of the fact that we our main focus is always on quality and we use very high-quality chocolate. We only use the best ingredients where we can. But I think a huge thing that stands out for us was always... Um the majority of products that we sell, especially all year round, for the chocolate side of it Easter or Christmas predominantly, we personalise everything. So you can come in and get an egg for your daughter, you can get a bunny for your for your husband or son or anything else and also as well at Christmas time there people love giving we do a chocolate three D molded boot. And people love giving people the boot at Christmas. So that's a very popular (laughs) item then. So I think a lot of it is personalization and our customer service. And one, I suppose, a huge thing we always focus on is the customer service we give behind it. We have very loyal customers. We have a great team behind us. So it's... It's something that puts us aside from the rest. It's not just picked off a shelf. Yeah, Every single thing is handmade by us here.
1: Uh, and obviously chocolate and Easter go together really, really well. Um, but uh, Easter 2020, I'm presuming, like everybody else, you'll remember that one for a long time.
0: Don't think we'll ever forget it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't forget that. We Because I think we all, the same as everyone else in this industry, we all got the phone calls and the changes on the 16th of March. And at that stage, we were well underway way for production for Easter. So we had a lot prepared and a lot made at the time. But unfortunately, COVID played its end and things changed. So we, we just had to deal with it at the time.
1: And was that a, an existential crisis, Carol? Uh, because there you were, a small business. You, you were heading for mm-hmm. what, what you thought was going to be busy, but you ended up yep. having stock left.
0: Uh, nightmare scenario. Well, you know, I suppose it was at the time and I suppose, you know, and it was very frightening for everyone at the time. So you, we felt we had to do the right thing. So I suppose our first performance thing was to do was to look after the staff. So, you know, so we initially did um, an immediate close down. But yeah, there was thousands of euros worth of products made. And, you know, we certainly didn't want them to go to waste. And so Ian got into our lovely little Luso van and drove around all around cork and just gave them away. Wow. No, we'd very happy people at the end of it, but um it was the it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. It it was a scary process to all of us at the time. And um, we didn't know what we were facing into. So, yeah, so, the, you know, of, of course, there was going to be a lot of waste, but there was a lot of people enjoyed the products. Yeah, so it, they didn't go to there, there was a
1: lot of people very happy at a time when not many people were, were. Were, 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 were particularly cheerful. Uh, look, when you look at it now, was that an opportunity? Was it, Speaking of the, getting the boot for Christmas, was that the boot she needed to move online, Carol?
0: It absolutely was. I suppose, you know, I mean, because we were a small team here and... Um, we We have some absolutely fantastic accounts and um, that that are very loyal to us, but they were now closed, so we needed to think and think outside the box and um, because we were never an online business, so it was now our our opportunity to move it online. So I suppose you know between Ian and I, there was a lot of time spent in the background creating now we've been very lucky we you know we fabulous people that we've worked alongside. Um, which was Seamus um, Begley who designed our, our website and um, uh, John Beasley who did all of photography. So I suppose it was now the opportunity was now or never. So while we had the time in our hands and between ourselves and um, Seamus and John, we just said, OK, let's do it. And it has been thankfully a roaring success. And because all, what they have done for us is they gave us an online shop that we would never have been able to do ourselves, if that made sense. So we, we needed the professionals. We could produce all the products, but we need someone to showcase them for us. So, you know, I mean, it was brilliant. And we needed that push because I don't think it would have happened. Um, so some good things have come out to go for us that has given us an online presence yeah. where we weren't present as we should have
1: been yeah but again don't never waste a good crisis and all that so w- w- what's next then uh w- where where are the plans ian w- where do you want to see Lusso's chocolates displayed proudly over the course of the next few years
3: oh well I, I think a huge factor there as carol just said or the online so the online shop has become a huge success and i suppose the next main thing coming up for ourselves would be easter we we do a massive Easter trade now, thankfully, too. We have a lot of supportive customers who continuously come back to us year on year. And this, some of these are customers who used to go back to back 10 years, 12 years ago, going to Carol's father's door at 8 o'clock at night to pick up chocolate from him, and he'd have a cup of tea and a laugh at them. <laughs> so there are some brilliant customers there. So we'll always continue down that trend. And we also, as well, we do a lot of... We supply a lot of cafes and restaurants and bears with desserts as well. So that takes up. That's our day-to-day bread yeah. and butter outside of the heavy season. So thankfully, that's growing week on week and strength by strength. So we'll continue to push that as long as we can.
1: Right, look, lads, I am absolutely starving for a bit of chocolate now. And there isn't a bit anywhere near me, <laughs> which is the yeah, absolute yeah, killer. Never see you there. We'll have, to, we'll have to get sorted. Right, and Carol Barry and Ian Kerrigan. What's the website, lads, if people need to find you?
3: L-U-S-S-O-C-O-R-K
1: .ie. Look, it's great, lads. And many happy years of marriage ahead. Are you making all that chocolate? (laughs) And and, and making the world a better place. Carol Barry and Ian Kerrigan, thanks so much for joining us
0: thanks so
3: Both much thank you very much
0: Great yeah. Business Bye-bye. with IBEC, building a sustainable
1: competitive future for Cork business now it is generally accepted by everyone in Cork that it's a great place a great place to live and to work and to do business but for my next guest convincing others of how wonderful this city and county is it's a full time job and not only does he have to promote Cork he has to promote Ireland uh, as, as a rule uh, Fergal O'Brien is IBEC's Director of Lobbying and Influence how are you Fergal?
4: Hello, Jonathan. How are you? Obviously, it's easier
1: to sell Cork than other parts of the country, isn't it?
4: There's a lot to sell. There's great opportunities and advantages um, for doing business as a place to, to, to live, work and, of course, do business. It, it, it's got an awful lot to offer. But I suppose when we're engaging with, with government at the political level, uh, with permanent government at a national level and with local government, we're continuously trying to work with them as as stakeholders and partners to try and improve the conditions uh, for doing business. And I suppose one of the things that's really interesting, John, if you look at how kind of policy and our engagement with government from a business perspective has evolved, particularly probably over the last five years or so, and I think this is going to have accelerated during COVID times, is that quality of life is increasingly becoming actually a key metric for business. Because there was a time when corporates and businesses probably – They took the decisions, you know, maybe in a corporate boardroom, right, as to where, you know, investment decisions were going to happen and where economic activity was going to be located. And the people followed. Now it's the talent, it's the individuals actually deciding on the basis of quality of life, on the basis of the public services, on the basis of the education, the health system, the built environment, um, the local domain, everything. They're deciding where they want to locate themselves. And the corporates are actually following. So increasingly, the kind of Everyday issues that we all talk about as quality of life issues are becoming core business issues, mm. uh, and that's been a big change for the for the region, for Cork, and for a country in terms of how we promote and seek opportunities to improve ourselves. Yeah, and
1: the advent of broadband and, and proper connectivity means it's easier to do business now in a place like Cork than it would have been previously. Is is that helping you when you are lobbying uh, on behalf of client companies? That you know, previously it might have been hard uh, to try and convince somebody. Well, you know, you can do business. Business from, from West Cork for example or you can do business if you're living in North Cork or, or even in Cork City it doesn't matter the connectivity is much better than it used to be you can hop at a Zoom caller or you can get in a plane and get somewhere quickly
4: We've obviously demonstrated over the last two years, Jonathan, that, you know, we we, we can operate in all sorts of ways. Um, So, yes, the the digital connectivity is absolutely crucial um, and companies just have a much more flexible attitude now in terms of in in, in terms of where they're going to, to locate. So it is much more about the talent. That's actually the first question that every corporate is now going to ask when they're making kind of investment decisions. So whether whether they're an Irish company growing from an indigenous base or you're a multinational company coming into a location, previously they probably would have had a 16-minute map, right? And they would have said, you know, what number of people with certain skill sets can I get within the 60% commute time of Cork City? Whereas now they're looking at a much wider, they're casting that net much wider um, and, and they will look at much longer distances from locations. But the the traditional connectivity still matters. The infrastructure connectivity still matters. And it matters locally right in terms of that quality of life experience it matters nationally in terms of how can we connect to other cities and one of the key priorities for ibeck over the last number of years has been to try to get this much better balance of regional economic development between our East Coast and our West Coast. We have been far too reliant on the greater Dublin economy. You know, we've had over 40% of all our kind of economic activity happening inside that in 50 in Dublin. And we've been arguing for a number of years that we really need to look at the opportunity of our Atlantic corridor. And I think what's happened in the last two years is probably going to do more for regional development than any government policy has in, in, in the previous 50. And the final piece then on the connectivity and particularly crucial for 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 for, for a city region such as Cork is the international connectivity because that still matters. And again, we really felt that during the COVID times when people could not easily get on planes and go and see their customers or go and see their corporate headquarter folk. Mm. It, it became much more difficult and it does impact relationships over time. And in other countries, in most other countries, they have other options. You know, they were able to get on trains and they were able to get yeah. in, into cars to see customers. We need in particularly that um, that aviation connectivity is yeah. absolutely crucial well, I mean, us.
1: Yeah, we are an island at the end of the day, so you have to get on and off. The good news, of course, at the start of this podcast was further expansion at Cork Airport and fingers crossed more to come about lobbying though um, it has a bad reputation Fergal, doesn't it? It, it there is always a kind of sense of seediness as if you're hanging around in a dark corner but that's not how it works it's about representing an interest to try and uh, inform and in many ways sway policy uh, that is to the benefit of everybody but it's not often seen as that
4: I don't think it sits comfortably with, with us in Ireland. Um, that's for sure, Jonathan, And perceptions of, of lobbying and what lobbying is. Um, it's our job. It's, it's what we do as a business representative organization. Um, we we every, every, day in, day out represent the views, the issues, the concerns of our members to government. But it's actually about partnership and it's about joint problem solving. Because I suppose a good example would be when, again, the COVID crisis hit us, you know, almost over a weekend in, in, in March of 2020. Uh, one of the first things we were doing was sitting down with government trying to figure out how could we offset the worst economic implications of it. And obviously there was lots of focus on, on our health crisis at the time, but we also had an impending economic crisis. And government could only do that by listening to the real life experiences of business. And I think it was a very good example in terms of how working collaboratively between the on the ground reality what we did design was around these labour market supports of the employer wage subsidy scheme and the government then rolled out the, the pandemic unemployment payments. And and those policies were incredibly successful and effective. And our government actually took really bold decisions at the time. But they could only do that by having the practical insights from from, from the practitioners and from and from business people through the kind of IBEC Vice. Yeah. So we need to explain, but we need to work in partnership, and that's the reality of what happens. And um, you know, this isn't this isn't about other perceptions of what lobbying is or isn't. This is the day-to-day yeah. work of trying to make the conditions better in the country.
1: And not and only is about conditions better, but there's there's big ticket items, uh, things like sustainability, ESG. We've talked about it a lot in the podcast in the last mm-hmm. couple of months. Companies are coming around to this a lot more. The G part is governance, mm-hmm. which is important, but environmental and social are are they're the big buzzwords. And state tends to be quite a distance behind. We've seen electric cars, for example, the consumer moving ahead of any expectation that the state might have. It's happening a lot more. And and is is it part of IBEX's responsibility to bring to government's attention, look, this is actually what's happening. You need to allow for this.
4: Yeah, absolutely, Jonathan. It's, it's happening at such spectacular pace at the moment. And we have no doubt, you know, we've come from a period... Now, again, in these last two years where COVID and Brexit have probably dominated the landscape and with no doubt but the single most important business issue for the years ahead is going to be that sustainability agenda. And specifically, as you mentioned, through that environmental, social and governance lens of the ESG almost every organization that we're talking to at the moment is many of them grappling with this I think is fair to say some are on the journey some will, will think that they're they're probably well planned out in terms of you know how they're going to to adjust to some of these requirements but many others are struggling with it and trying to figure out what to do but it's coming at them from a number of angles yeah. um, in terms of their investors obviously the shift from shareholder to stakeholder capitalism so in in, in terms of their stakeholders and organizations now it's a much more complex Uh, landscape in terms of engagement with their employees in terms of their financiers Uh, they all want to see their esg strategies their sustainability strategies uh, their customers across their supply chain so there's a lot of complexity coming to business and in a way as you say government actually is probably struggling to catch up on some of this one of the observations that we're probably seeing across IBEC is that the this social pillar may well be the most crucial of them all because while we have very ambitious national targets on the environmental sustainability and we're clearly starting out on on the road to achieve those by 2030 being a key milestone and then beyond to 2050 in terms of carbon neutrality. But crucially, if the social pillar doesn't hold, then it's going to be very, very hard to deliver on those environmental targets. And I think the cost of living issues that have really come to the fore okay. uh, more recently is really bringing that out.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's just a fascinating area. It's constantly evolving. And, and your job is to try and stay ahead of, of whatever trend, good or bad, is coming in the future. Fergus O'Brien, IBEX, Director of Lobbying and Influence. Absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for taking the time.
4: Thank you,
1: Jonathan. And that is it from this episode of the podcast. Stay tuned or we're going to give you a little bit of a sneaky listen to the latest episode of Red Business in Focus that is up right now on redfm.ie. It's a fabulous story about Benson's workwear from Middleton. But that's it for now. We'll catch you on the next one.
0: Get the Red Business podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts. Red Business with iBeck, building a sustainable, competitive future for Cork business.
1: You're very welcome back to Red Business in Focus with Cork's local enterprise offices where we're sharing Cork's success stories. This week, it's Benny Musa of Benson's Menswear. He's in the spotlight and he'll be chatting to us about his successful business and his passion for textiles. We're also going to be talking to him about how they stepped up during COVID-19 to put the community first in their business by stopping production of regular stock and then focusing their efforts instead on hospital gowns for the HSE. Benny, you're very welcome, sir. How are you? Thank you. Very well. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. Uh, As usual at the start, we've given you 30 seconds on the clock to tell us a little bit about the company. So 30 seconds, what do you do in Benson's Workwear?
5: Okay, my name is Benny Moussa, I'm a fashion designer, I'm also creative director at Benson's Corporate Wear. Uh, we design and manufacture corporate uniforms for banks, airlines, supermarkets, hotels, uh, across Ireland, the UK and France. We have a team of textile experts and fashion designers and graphic designers. Um, and we we are changing the design of uniforms, if you like. Um, by bringing fashion to the workplace.
1: Okay, now that's interesting because uh, workwear traditionally tends to be a little boring um, and functional, right? So we're going to get to the, how you're changing in just a minute. But first of all, how did you end up working in this space? It's a kind of a, it's a specific area, if I could put it that way.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I grew up with five sisters. Uh, and so you, you can imagine the rest of the story. I pretty much <laughs> a, they,
1: they used you as a fashion model. Didn't they? Absolutely. Yeah.
5: yeah, And tweaking, tweaking, tweaking dresses. And, and I was always inspired by, by fashion, what they wear, what they shop and how they marry, colors and, and so on. So it was really interesting upbringing. My mother was uh, obviously doing a bit of seamstressing here and there. Um, and then two of my sisters went into silk printing, which was fascinating. And they used to do that all by hand. At the age of 16, then, I, I was still in school, obviously. Um, I got an interest in business, so I started mixing the two, uh, fashion and business and textiles and printing, doing a bit of everything. I ended up with uh, an established business. It was doing very well, um, where I used to design and print and make myself, together with my two sisters, um, the, the bands for seatbelts. So we would print the car brands on the seatbelt.
1: Okay. So in other words, instead of just having a black seatbelt, you could put the brand on it and you could, absolutely. You could pimp it out especially absolutely. effectively.
5: You know? Yes, absolutely. Like for sports car mainly. Yeah. So I used to run across um, markets and, and uh, car dealers and stuff like that and sell them. Uh, that, that was back home in North Africa. And then that took off. But then that that took about three to five years to take off and to, to be built. Uh, by by the time I reached 19, 19 and a half, I found myself in London trying to... And I had a whole world in front of me as a designer. So I started working in London, um, sourcing for, for factories, designing for different, for different textile companies where I spent 11 years, built um, a lot of knowledge, met interesting people as well throughout my career. And then I came to Ireland with, uh, I suppose... A business plan to open a textile factory.
1: And it's a funny industry uh, because it can be h- quite hard to turn a profit from it because it's, it's clothing at the end of the day and it's fashion which means you can be either in or out of fashion. When did you come up with the idea of creating durable usable workwear and I suppose branded workwear at that because everybody likes to see their brand on their clothes?
5: Absolutely I think um, when I was in London definitely working and seeing, I suppose, um, what other people are making, what the possibilities are there and seeing the gap in the market um, and then mixing the knowledge that I gathered, making patterns, looking for the right fabric for certain, fac- f- for certain sectors in, in the business. Um, I thought, look, mixing the two will go hand on hand and very well. So by bringing the aspect of fashion into workplaces, be it a hospital, an airline, a bank, uh, and so on, it it can be as as simple as school wear. Yeah. Um, the two blended very well together.
1: One of the things about workwear traditionally they would have been just functional. So in a hospital you had scrubs that could easily be washed, and then you might have a different colour for a, a different job in a hospital. They weren't particularly glamorous. Yes. Um, that's changed now, hasn't
5: it? I agree. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, all we know about, like, we're all used to, say... The workwear, as you said, a bit boring, bit straight down. There's no nothing fancy to it, nothing luxurious when it comes to one size fits all. Absolutely. Uh, So I suppose the the vision of Benson's corporate is to break that um, pattern and to start giving people uh, or or the 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 staff or the employees really the the feel of what it's like to put on something you love to work. So it brings out confidence, empowers empowers the employee and happy employee means happy happy company and a happy family in the company and it yeah. brings out the best out of people uh let's go to march 2020 uh when the world changed for everybody with the global
1: pandemic um i would imagine that you were sitting there like every other business owner going oh, what is this going to mean for me and for my business are people going to want workwear are they going to want all this kind of stuff yeah. it became quite apparent quite quickly that the health service needed help so
5: how how did you move to help them absolutely Jonathan I mean um, just pre-pandemic two three months when we heard China was in trouble um, in here I had to I remember I, I called enterprise uh, local enterprise office here Mr. Joburg, and I said I've always been known to him I'm this go get it and I'm this positive guy just get and, it done yeah get yeah. it done and uh, this positive guy and now I said to myself now positive man <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, there's no hotels. Everything is shut down. There's no cafes, no restaurants. Um, so we, we had to close for about four to five weeks uh, while we were trying to pivot and get contracts in place with the HSE because everything else, as you said, had stopped at the time. So we had to pivot very, very quickly. And that involved when people were cocooning, we were in the, in the factory in East Cork, um, cutting fabric making patterns, responding to... Two. So, as someone who was in the fashion sector, yes, you probably
1: would never have deemed yourself an essential worker, but there you were providing an essential service.
5: Absolutely. That's well said, Jonathan, because we had to actually request a letter from the HSE to allow us to be on the road. Um, and we, had, uh, we, were, we were taking care uh, of production in one hand and then recruiting up to 43 uh, employees most of them stresses, fabric cutters, some had experience and we were actually privileged and a bit surprised from the community and the response we got here in Cork. It was absolutely amazing. Every, everybody came together.
1: As the world is starting to straighten out now, uh, Benny, what does that mean for your business? Uh, like you, you obviously don't have to produce huge amounts of PPE and, and, and workwear for hospitals anymore, but uh, what, What condition is the company in now to move forward and where do you see growth for yourself?
5: Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, I do believe personally as a a creative director of Benzins Corporateware is this is the best of times. I know it can be the worst of times as well for certain businesses and small businesses that unfortunately had closed down or had to struggle throughout the pandemic. Um, The best of times in the sense that the world is opened again. Every business is, is opened again. There's a lot of opportunities. And what the pandemic has done, I suppose, on a psychological level that I've, know, that I've witnessed uh, for small businesses, be it a hotel or, or a large enterprise like airlines and so on, uh, it has changed their behavior, if you like. where, What I mean by that is people used to be, it's easier almost um, to go to the Far East and get something done and get your stuff imported, especially when it comes to the textiles. But then what the pandemic has done, it put a lot of pressure on delays. Um, We all know that the logistics is eight to 10 times more expensive now, which puts us as manufacturing in Ireland in a much stronger position. So we're able to respond and change the habits of those businesses. And as the world changes then, Benny,
1: does that impact on quality? Because if prices go up everywhere else and you're trying to produce your product, how is it going to be different to what's produced in other parts of the world?
5: Absolutely. I think as manufacturers here in Ireland, um, we're very, where we're heading is towards sustainability. So by manufacturing here in Ireland, we're already cutting down 40% of carbon. So without going into the details of, of um, sourcing fabric and the sustainable route for businesses. I think people will appreciate paying a euro or two more per garment uh, if you're buying a suit. I think we all agree to support Irish businesses as one and to support to, to, to save our environment as, as, as a priority as well.
1: Yeah
5: it's been a pleasure and a great journey. Benny Musa. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you
1: Jonathan. Now join us next week when we'll be joined by Carol Kendell from Basel Market and Deli. Carol is going to fill us in on her successful business and will share her story about pivoting the food sector during COVID to develop the e-commerce side of the house. See you next week on Red Business in Focus with Cork's Local Enterprise Offices.